Yeah, we're a cheering church. We'll give it up for them. We get excited because we know not only do they grow every week physically, like some of these kids running out, I swear they were in strollers like last week, but they're growing spiritually every week because of what's being taught back there and the work that's being done and just the growth, both physically and spiritually. But when I speak of growth, my family, my small family, Steph, my wife, right here in the front, she celebrated her 24th birthday this week. Still a baby, right? Still young, still young. But it was on Wednesday, so we got to celebrate with RC. We got to surprise her, but it was, it was just great. We got to celebrate my better half, right? My beautiful helpmate. And some of you fellas are like, he's just trying to score points up there because, you know, Pastor Fred talks about a point system. And after last week, I'm like, absolutely. I don't know if you guys were here, but Steve Rosario, he went in. He was scoring. It was like prolific, the amount of points. He was talking about being on men's retreats, like missing his wife, stuff that most men wouldn't even be bold enough to bring up. But... Then you look tonight, you're like, oh, where's Steve, right? He's on a romantic getaway, right? He scored so many points, it's like he got a bonus level where it's just him and the princess. Just, you know what I'm saying? But, uh, so I'm like, yeah, let me score some points while I'm up here. See what happens, where I'm at next week. But uh, Wednesday was Steph's birthday. But last weekend, there was another kind of a big deal who had a birthday. His name is Michael Jeffrey Jordan. Last weekend, he celebrated his 50th birthday. I think it might be safe to assume that most everybody in here knows who Michael Jordan is. I would think the people that don't know who Michael Jordan is just got dismissed to kids' church. But uh, most middle school, high school age, they still know who Michael Jordan was because he was that good. I mean, he's arguably the best basketball player of all time. I'm getting nods from the RC section. They know who he is. I've raised him well. But uh, his 50th birthday... It was a big deal to me because I played basketball throughout my adolescence. And as you can tell by the fact I'm on the mic and my lack of melanin and my physical build, it didn't get me anywhere. But I still played because I love the game. And Michael Jordan is the person that helped me fall in love with the game. And now he's 50, right? So it got me thinking, reflecting. on. I was like, how many times, I wonder, did he score more than 50 points? I don't know if you watch basketball. It's a lot of points. But he scored over 50 points 34 times, seven times in the playoffs, once in the finals, you know, when all the marbles are on the table. But, uh, you know, you hear, especially in youth ministry, some kids will be like, LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. He scored over 50 points eight times, never in the playoffs, never in the finals. So let him finish his career first, then we'll talk. All right. Michael Jordan made buckets. He made them when it counted. As you can see by this picture, this shot won a championship. But You know, my grandmother, when I was coming up, knew that I liked Michael Jordan, and she was from Chicago, so she used to get me books on Michael Jordan, newspaper clippings, all kinds of little tidbits, send me them in the mail, back before everybody and their mother used even email. So, that's how old I am. But, out of all the Michael Jordan clippings I read, out of all the quotes I've heard, my favorite would probably be this one, where he said, I've missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I've lost almost 300 games. 26 times I've been trusted to take the game-winning shot and missed. I failed over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Essentially, what he's saying is he, he missed so many shots that he was no longer afraid of failure. He no longer had a fear of failure. And as I want to talk about tonight, it's when you push through your fears that you'll experience the biggest moments and biggest breakthroughs in your life. And Michael Jordan not only succeeded on the court as he continued to shoot, the guy racked up six championships, MVPs, but even, you guys remember the Kid President video we watched a couple weeks ago? 
Even this little nine-year-old kid still talking about Space Jam, right? <laughs> What's your Space Jam going to be? But, <laughs> and then you got shoe sales. There was a point in American culture where three out of every four basketball shoes sold was a Jordan. That's how big of an impact he had through this Nike brand, the Nike swoosh, the slogan, just do it. They're forever tied because Jordan was essentially the athlete that helped Nike get to a billion-dollar company. He was the first billion-dollar athlete. But this idea of just do it and this idea of pushing through your fears, I want to tie this into a passage in the book of Luke. It's Luke 8, and we're going to park in verses 22 through 50. But to start tonight, I want to start right in the middle of it in verse 49. Verses 49 and 50. See, this man Jairus, his daughter was dying. He knew this, so he went to Jesus. And this is the, the passage where we see the woman with the issue of blood, you know, touching the hem of Jesus' garment, being healed. And during this instance, we'll talk more about it later, Jairus' daughter dies. And no doubt, he's struck by fear. But what does Jesus say to him? And if you're going to name the sermon tonight, it would be when Jesus said, just do it. Essentially, he says, just do it. He says in the King James Version, fear not, believe only. And again, starting from verse 49, it says, while he, Jesus, was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher. But when Jesus heard it, he answered him saying, fear not, believe only. Now, when you read fear not, believe only, it sounds a little Yoda-esque, right? But then the New Living Translation translates it, don't be afraid, just have faith. Just have faith. Come on, we want to talk about uh, overcoming our fears tonight, so I want to just open up with a moment of participation. Uh, what are some things in your life that you maybe at one point feared or still scare you? Come on, you might think it's wild and crazy, but there are over 2,000 diagnosed phobias. Ain't nothing too crazy. David. Birds, anything with wings. I'm not going to lie. I saw a framed butterfly at Target and almost bought it for him because he's terrified of things with wings. <laughs> Denise, having a baby. I'm terrified of that too. Thank goodness I'm a man. Wayne, what's that? Heights? Yeah, I feel you on that. Emily? Spiders? Yep. Public speaking? Go ahead, sorry. Going on a mission trip to North Africa, did you go on it? Nice, awesome. Mike, go on it this summer. Come on, hopefully this sermon will help you in that. But yes, we all struggle with fears. I used to struggle with the fear of public speaking, but now that I've put pennies in the bank of my wife, I can say she has a phobia. She is terrified of spiders. Emily, she feels you on that. Terrified, petrified of spiders. I didn't realize how scared she was of spiders until we were married and under the same roof. Because when she sees a spider, life stops. I don't know if she keeps breathing. Like, I have to come from wherever I am, wherever, whatever corner of the house, and come kill it before anything can continue. TV pauses. She, like, does not move. I must come and kill it. It's funny, a couple weeks ago, Maybe a couple months ago at this point, I was preaching at RC, and we do it right here, and she sits right in this seat. And I'm, you know, I'm going in, I'm, I'm exhorting, and then all of a sudden I hear, <gasps> right? And Steph's over here just looking at the floor, and I, didn't, I couldn't see it because the spider literally was smaller than my pinky nail. But I knew immediately what it was, and she, there was no use of me just coming over and talking to her. So I, I walked over, stepped on it, walked back. Of course, she was like, that's the greatest act of heroism ever. But... 
it would be no use for me to walk over here and say, Steph, don't be afraid. Just listen to me. Don't be afraid. Just, just pay attention. Because she's petrified of spiders. And you see, when Jesus says this to Jairus, this isn't just some, some fear of spiders. It's not just some arachnophobia. He is experiencing a, a real fear. His daughter just died. And you're like, how can Jesus be so to the point? This is a guy who was great with words, told some awesome parables, some awesome analogies. Couldn't have given him one about his daughter. But he says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And he sets up this important juxtaposition between fear and faith. Because fear and faith go together like light and darkness, like oil and water. They simply don't. You either walk in faith or stand in fear. You see, the Bible is full of fearful people finding faith. And you see, when God calls you, your options are to one, walk in faith, or two, stand in fear. You see, fear comes in two forms. There are those forms of, of fear that come like a wave, like a left hook that just hits you. Maybe it's a diagnosis. Maybe it's a crisis you, you come into, or a fight within your family. It hits you like a ton of bricks. But then there are those other fears, the little undercurrents, the undertow that holds you back, the what ifs, the self-doubt. You know, those are two very real types of fear that I'm going to hit on tonight. But the very simple fact is, is that when God calls you forward to take steps of faith, fear loves to just step right on in. Fear loves to just enter the picture in those moments. But as a church and as a people, if we're going to walk in faith, we're going to have to walk through our fears. Come on, Pastor Fred, his vision for this year is the year of the hallelujah. Come on, if we're going to have those moments where we simply look back and say hallelujah, come on, it's going to take us walking through some fears and walking through them in faith because there's no other way, right? But the, the, the reality is that when God calls us to his purposes, it's always going to take more than the strength we have. The obstacles he calls us to overcome that are going to give him glory are going to take not just our strength, but his strength. It's the idea from the vision last year, standing in the gap between what we can do and what the power of God can do. But even with all this, <laughs> Jesus says to Jairus, after his daughter dies, don't be afraid, just believe. And you're still like, all right, really that's it? But we've come into this story what uh, literature would call in medias race, which is in the middle of things. It's right in the heart of the conflict. If you look at literature, the Odyssey does this. Paradise Lost does this. Uh, if you look at films, how many of y'all seen Raging Bull? Robert De Niro, it's a good movie. Check it out, wow. I might be the only person that, oh, I see you, Cord. Thank you, there's some hands. But that starts in Medias Race, and the rest of the movie is essentially a flashback to how it got there. But there's not always flashbacks. You know, one that you might have seen, Star Wars, starts within the heart of conflict. So that's kind of where we've jumped in tonight, but there is essentially, I love Luke 8. There's about three narratives in there that deal with fear and faith, that show us how we can walk in faith instead of standing in fear. And we're going to look at this little trilogy tonight. But I want to start with episode one, because there are three things that he shows power over. Power over disaster, natural disasters, storms, power over demons, over the supernatural, and finally power over death. But the first is natural disasters, episode one. We'll call this Mayhem Like Me. How many of you have seen these State Farm commercials with the Mayhem guy? They, they're so, they've like gone viral. I love every one of them. He, he's kind of this off-kilter, yet somehow really cool guy. Looks like an accountant that got jumped on the way home. He's dirty. He's got bandages on his face. But he's like a living, breathing metaphor, right? He opens up the commercials, and he'll be like sitting in a tree and be like, I am a random windstorm. Or what are some other ones? 
I'm a 13-year-old girl that just got a text from her BFF while driving through a parking lot. Boom, hits your car. I'm the puppy that just ate your back seat. Steph's favorite one, I'm the raccoon that just spent a week in your attic making raccoon babies. Best week of my life. <laughs> but these commercials are like two parts humor, yet two parts scare tactic. Because it's funny until it happens to you, right? But there's this, this fallacy about faith that if, if you have enough faith, you'll, you won't ever have these troubles. If you have enough faith, then mayhem will be eliminated. You've maybe heard people that, that promote this idea where if, if you've got a cold, well, you need to stir up more faith. Pray harder. You know, you lost your job. You, you must not have had enough faith. You got laid off. Should have prayed more. Should have had more faith. You know, these kind of ideas, it's fatal to people's faith when, when they're promoted because the idea, <laughs> I mean, these people have read, they probably memorized Hebrews 11, 1 in, in Sunday school, but they probably never read to the end of Hebrews 11. Because at the end of Hebrews 11, you get to people who were sawed in half because of their faith. Not in spite of their faith, but because of it. Faith doesn't make you invincible. It doesn't, it doesn't make you impervious to trouble, but it, it's like insurance because <laughs> it gets you through it. It's like the other guy from the Allstate commercials. I don't know what his name is. He's like James Earl Jones Jr. with the extra deep voice. Are you in good hands? Right? Guy from S.H.I.E.L.D. Don't know his name. Y'all can tell me later. But faith is like that. And let's look at the disciples' date with mayhem. Because in Luke 8, through 25, they come up against the storm, and it hits them square in the chops. But in verse 22, it says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped, and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided, and all was calm. Where is your faith? He asked his disciples. In fear and amazement, they asked one another, Who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Come on, it's, it's, a, it's a telling passage, and it starts with a telling phrase that should have stirred some of the disciples' faith. Jesus tells them, let us go to the other side of the lake. There's two assurances there. One, it was going to happen. They were going to go to the other side of the lake. And the second, that pronoun, us. Jesus was with them. Come on, Jesus, the almighty God in the flesh. There's this verse in Deuteronomy 31, 6, where it says, he will never leave you or forsake you. This verse is repeated throughout Scripture. It's repeated to Joshua before he goes into the promised land. It's repeated in the Great Commission, this idea that God will never leave us or forsake us. And let me tell you, I love to pray that over my life. I love to reassure myself of that. It should give you a peace, but at the same time, when you're not in a storm, it should almost give you pause. It should almost be a warning because this God that's with us, he loves to do the exceedingly difficult and seemingly impossible in order to give himself the glory. And often that brings us through storms. See, faith isn't some sedative that we take in order to, to go through life and, and avoid troubles. See, faith is what links us to our purpose. And your purpose, your God-given purpose is going to take you through some storms. But you see, when you follow your purpose, when you follow your calling into storms, you're setting the stage for God to show up like he did for the disciples. I love this great quote by Rolf Waldo Emerson. It says, a wise man in the storm prays to God, not for safety from danger, but for deliverance from fear. You see, the disciples, they might not have hit their knees in prayer, but they probably hit Jesus because <laughs> Jesus was knocked out. It says he just fell asleep. Middle of a storm, they think they could die 
And Jesus is, apparently he was that tired where he just needed a nap. Come on, my people that like naps and sleeping in, you should be aiming in the roof off. Because, I mean, sometimes coming up, I would just picture Jesus as like he's on five-hour energy 24-7. Like when he was preaching, it was like Joe Rogan. You know, if you've ever watched UFC, just yelling into a microphone. Like he ate like Kobayashi with that kind of urgency, just throwing down food. He would go from town to town like Usain Bolt. But if you actually look, Jesus... He realized the, the, the power and the, and the, the health of rest. That's my shameless pathway plug. That's a complete rabbit trail. Where am I at? <laughs> this storm revealed what the disciples thought of Jesus. It's interesting that in Luke 9, the chapter after, after this, Jesus asks them with words, who do you say that I am? But in Luke 8, before we ever get there, he asks them with a storm. He asks them with this, this trouble who do you really say that I am? Because you see, the power that fear has in your life is directly related to your understanding or misunderstanding of God's ability. Because fear in its essence is misplaced faith. We put more faith in the what ifs and the what might be's than in God's power and his ability. I love in Luke 8:50 the amplified version. It says instead of just believe, it says simply believe. And then in brackets, it says, in me as able to do this. Again, fear is related to your understanding of God's ability. It's why Jesus says to the disciples, where is your faith? Is your faith in this storm or is your faith in me, the God who's with you that can calm the storm with just a word? Where's your faith? And the result of this episode is they go from fearing the storm to essentially, be, it says they looked at Jesus with fear and amazement. All of a sudden, they were placing their fear and faith in, in what it needed to be placed in. They say, who is this? In Luke 8, 25, in their fear and utter amazement. And you see, once you get to this idea of fearing God, you know, I think it was facing the giants. Sorry, segue here, rabbit trail. I think it was facing the giants where they said 365 times in the Bible, um, it says, don't fear, don't be afraid, and you can use that one every day of the year, something like that. Well, I did my own research. I think it's closer to 100 plus times. Could be wrong, but studying, found it 100 plus times, somewhere around there. But then it's interesting, you study some more, the idea of the fear of the Lord being a good component of our spiritual life, that's found about 100 plus times. Come on, this is why I love studying the Word, because you begin to realize that God's big enough for both. <laughs> See, I don't want anybody to leave tonight with a misplaced kind of swagger, like, I don't have to fear anything. You know, I, I shouldn't have to fear anything. Because if you're like the disciples in the boat who would look at Jesus Christ and be like, who is this guy? Who is he to me? Then you have every reason to fear. But when you learn a fear of God, a reverence for God that leads to repentance, you begin to realize that all these other things you fear are overshadowed by who God is, by his goodness, by his sovereignty, by his power, by his faithfulness, who he is overshadows your fear. You realize you don't have to fear what the world fears. The economy's bad. Yeah, I get that. But greater is he that is in us than he that's in the world. Come on, if he is for us, what can be against us? Yeah, I, I got that diagnosis, but God is still for me. What can be against me? We begin to realize that if, if we fear God, the power he has, that we don't have to fear anything else. See, faith isn't the absence of storms. It's a realization that the God we believe in is bigger than any storm. His power 
his providence, his presence, his purpose. It just casts a shadow over all our fears. But that's mayhem. That's episode one. Episode two, we will call Abandon the Bacon. Let me get my slide up here. It's Luke 8, 26 through 39. Now you've essentially gone from a scene out of The Perfect Storm. You remember that movie? Had Mark Wahlberg, George Clooney, top of the line, Hollywood acting there. But it was a suspenseful movie about just boating in this incredibly crazy storm. And you've gone from that suspense essentially to, to like a horror scene out of The Exorcist. Because waiting on the beach for them is, is a demon-possessed man. Now, if I am the disciples, this is the moment, if there ever is a moment, that I'm terrified. This is the moment I hop back in the boat, maybe push off 50 so feet and just throw rocks at him, like, go away. You know, point to Jesus, like, remember that storm? Bring it back, hit him with lightning, and we can move on with the day. But, but it says no mention, to their credit, of the disciples' fear. Maybe it's because Jesus, in his power, just walks right up to the guy and starts talking to him. He talks to the demons. They ask not to be cast into the abyss. So he casts them into a nearby herd of pigs, and these pigs go over a cliff, and they, they all perish. And it's interesting, it's ironic, that the first mention of fear in this passage isn't until after the demons are gone. It isn't until after this guy has been healed of his demons. And it's interesting, but you realize that the demons aren't the only thing that are now out of the picture. The pigs are now out of the picture. And these weren't Jews who, you know, couldn't eat pigs because they were unclean. These were Gentiles. They understood the beauty of a pulled pork sandwich. They understood the beauty of bacon. How many Gentile bacon lovers we got in this place? Love bacon. Some of y'all are like, what's his face? Bubba from Forrest Gump, the guy who loves shrimp. But it's that way with bacon. Like, you can make cured bacon, crispy bacon. You can make bacon bread, bacon biscuits, bacon burgers bacon-wrapped asparagus, bacon-wrapped steak, bacon, egg, and cheese, bacon, lettuce, tomato. You could go on for days. Bacon is awesome. But see, you're never going to walk into a restaurant and just see an entree called bacon. <laughs> Some of y'all might like that, but that's not exactly a full meal. Bacon's always over there under the sides, right? I've never sat down, had a full plate of bacon, say, man, I just feel so full. Because it's a frill. It's not meant to fill you. You see, in life... God gives this thing that we're supposed to enjoy. He's given it to us for us to enjoy. You can think of some things like sports. Come on, I love sports. Think of some things like the arts. I love the arts. I love to paint. Think of things like laughter, family, sex, all of these things we're given to enjoy in this life. When we find trouble is when we try to take these little frills and make them a feast only to realize that it it doesn't fill us up. We have an eternity-sized void in our hearts that only God can fill. That's why he calls us to his purposes because he fills that gap. It's when you're holding on to bacon and you aren't willing to take the sirloin that you're like, man, I feel hungry, right? Because you're holding on to pigs instead of holding on to his purpose. So tonight I'd ask you, what's your pig? Come on, it's not time for the altar call yet, but I can simply ask you, what's that thing you've been holding back from God? That he's been like, come on, there's something so much better I have to give you if you will just let this one thing go. Don't know what it is, you do. (laughs) But this episode, episode two, contains two mentions of fear. The first mention is when they see that this man had been healed. It's the same fear and amazement that the disciples felt on the boat. Seeing the miraculous, seeing what Jesus was able to do, they felt that same fear and they felt that same amazement. But then it's interesting, it's explained 
how he was healed. And all of a sudden, they were overcome with, with fear and terror. It's the word phobos. And if it looks familiar, it's because it's where we get the idea of phobias. And I'm no doctor. I'm kind of reading between the lines. But I would diagnose these folks with canophobia, which is the fear of change. Because as long as they saw that this man was healed, they were cool with it. They could go to the beach now and not be scared for their life from this demon-possessed man that hung out near the beach, right? They were cool with that. But as soon as they realized that, wait, it cost me something? It cost me something, this change? All of a sudden, I'm cool. Thanks, but no thanks. They felt this fear. You see, the fact is that with Jesus comes change. The whole idea of repentance is to do a 180, change your course, and follow him. It's the whole reason that Jesus was a friend of sinners, but he and the Pharisees didn't really get along. Because tax collectors, prostitutes, their cards were out on the table. They realized they needed change. They needed grace. But the Pharisees were holding on to their pigs, not ready to give them up. And that's why you see so often them butting heads. I don't think it's any coincidence that the father of faith, Abraham, called the father of faith in the book of Romans, very first thing he had to get over before he walked in that faith was the fear of change. You know the first thing God says to Abraham? Leave your family. Leave everything you know. Leave your homeland. Go where I'm calling you. Go, to, go pursue my purposes, but first you've got you to leave all these things. He had to overcome the fear of discomfort, over fear, overcome the fear of being stretched, overcome the fear of giving up what he knew for the promises that he couldn't yet see. He didn't see that land the day after. It took a long time before he had the kids that God promised, but he walked in faith because he walked right through his fear of change. Come on. In moments of fear, what's familiar often feels preferable to God's promises. You know, you think about the Israelites in the desert. As soon as they came across trouble, as soon as they, they had fear that they might not make it, it's like, oh, I'm, I'm ready to go back to Egypt. And you're like, are you stupid? Back to slavery? Generations of slavery? At least there we had a place to lay our head. Yeah, but please, <laughs> right? But in moments of fear, what's familiar often feels preferable. Instead of walking in faith, we end up wandering in fear, like the Israelites did in that desert for 40 years. You see, what fear convinces us is that we don't know what to do when the reality is that we won't do what we know. Come on, we know what our pigs are very often. We know those things that God wants us to lay down. And sometimes fear will make us think, man, I don't know what to do. It's too big. And we end up wandering in fear instead of walking in faith. Tonight, Jesus would say to you, if that's you, just do it. Just do it. Don't fear. Just believe. That brings us to our last chapter, which we'll call Just Do It, our last episode. Now, scholars say that Jesus' miracles preceded him. No doubt these people waiting for him with Jairus, that they had heard of the miracles. They had heard of this guy being freed from demons. They had heard that Jesus walked in power. So Jairus does the wise thing, and as his daughter is dying, he runs to Jesus. And no doubt every fiber of his being wanted to grab Jesus by that beard, drag him to his daughter's bedside, and say, heal her now, right? But he had enough respect, enough social skills to not do that. But in this story, he comes to Jesus. And again, this is where the, the woman with the issue of blood comes in. She presses in, touches the hem of his garment. Such a powerful picture. 
you've been in church for any length of time, you've probably heard it uh, explained. Just the, the standing in those shoes and saying, God, I just want to touch the hem of your garment, experience your grace and your healing. It's, it's a powerful picture. But how often do we put ourselves in Jairus' shoes? While these people are rejoicing about the healing that just happened, he is sitting there, fear is gripping his heart. His daughter is dying. And no doubt, <laughs> while this is going on, He's just gripped by fear. And then <laughs> during this whole pause, it's when his servant comes to him like we opened with and says, look, your daughter's died. Don't bother with Jesus. Don't bother him anymore. Look, your worst fear just became a reality. You see, it's interesting. Circumstances often cloud our faith. And what fear so often does is it puts circumstances between us and God. You see, what faith does, though, is it puts God between us and our circumstances. You see what happened here. The servant comes and he's like, look, your worst fear just became a reality. Why even bother with Jesus anymore? But what does Jesus say? Don't fear. Don't worry about that circumstance. I will step in. Just believe. And Jairus, in faith, brings him anyways to his house where his daughter had died. And Jesus raises her from the dead. One of eight people in the Bible that are raised from the dead. And because of this faith, overcoming this fear, we still Exhort about her to this day and fearless find faith through her story. So maybe tonight you stand face to face with a fear. Maybe it's one that you've been trying to overcome for years, tried to overcome for decades. And the enemy will come to you tonight and say, you're a coward. Maybe you hear that voice in your head, but you're not a coward. You have a calling. You see, on the doorstep of every destiny, that's where fear likes to set up shop. Because fear foreshadows the fact that God has great things for you. What fear wants to do is before you can walk in those purposes and walk in that faith, just completely sidetrack you, pull you aside, pull you from that destiny. What God would ask you is what Jesus asked the disciples. Where is your faith? Is it in the what ifs? Is it in me? Is it, in the, is it even in yourself? You know, we can puff up our chest and say, I don't fear anything. That's not faith. That's posing. You know, the only way to really overcome fear is through faith in God, to walk through that fear through the faith that you have in Jesus Christ. I love how, again, I just love this passage. I love how in Luke 9, Jesus pulls the disciples together, and he sends them out in groups to go out and minister, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to do essentially what he was doing and proclaim the good news of salvation. But before he did that, he had to teach them how to walk in faith and not be frozen by their fears. How to overcome by finding faith. To just believe. To not fear. So if you feel fear, don't worry. You're in good company. You would love to think that in the Bible, you know, these are just heroes that laughed in the face of fear. But these are people just like you and me. They were the fearless that found faith. You're in good company. Heroes in the Bible experienced the same moments of fear, but they didn't let those moments gain momentum. They walked right through them with faith, the faith that they found in Jesus Christ. Like Michael Jordan, who walked through the fear of failure. Like Abraham, who walked through the fear of change. Like the disciples who walked through the fear of mayhem. On the other side of that fear are great things. If you've got fear tonight, that's the, the foreshadowing of the great things that God has for you. You talk about Abrahams. You talk about disciples. When I was a kid... One of these figures that I look to as just like the man being fearless was, was General Patton. My dad was a, a veteran, 
He loved war movies, and I saw this movie at a young age and left an impression because all these scenes where General Patton is out there with the army, shells are exploding, bullets are whizzing by, other people are like, they're down low, right? He's just walking like, come at me, bro, right? He's, he's cool with all of it. It's like the guy didn't feel fear. In my mind, he was incredible. But it was later in life that I read a, a biographic piece on him, and if the worship team wants to come up, I'm going to close with this. But it says, during World War II, a military governor met with General George Patton in Sicily. When he praised Patton highly for his courage and bravery, the general replied, Sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is I am an utter craven coward. I have never been within the sound of gunshot or in sight of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. Years later, when Patton's autobiography was published, it contained this significant statement by the general. I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. Come on, tonight, don't take counsel of your fears. Focus and place your faith on the God who cancels them. Again, when you realize who God is, what his ability really is, come on, simply believe in my ability to do this, then that overshadows your fears. But I realize that this sermon no doubt catches pretty much everybody in media's race, in the middle of conflict. Because I realize that every seat that's occupied in this sanctuary is oozing and dripping with purpose. God has a calling on every person in this room. And as we walk it out, no doubt fear has been dispatched to whisper lies into our lives, to stand on the doorstep of your destiny and say you can't do it, to fill you with self-doubt, to hit you with crises. I don't know what fears you face, but I know if you're walking in purpose, you're probably facing a few. But tonight, I simply want to close with a question. The same question that Jesus had for the disciples in the boat. Where is your faith? Is your faith in the what ifs, the what might be's, the sleepless nights? Is your faith in yourself and what you can do in your own strength? Or is your faith in the God who calmed the storm? The God who dispatched those demons? The God who raised the dead and is the same yesterday, today, and forever? Come on, that's where we need to place our faith tonight. We're going to go into the song, Give Me Faith. But as we do that, you know, every time we close in worship, there are people on the sides available for prayer. And tonight, maybe you're one of a few people. Maybe you're somebody who tonight would say, I'm like the disciples in the boat. Who is this Jesus guy? What is he to me? What does it mean to me? Why should I fear him? Well, tonight, if that's you, come on, it says in the Bible that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is, is the beginning of life. Again, life to the fullest, life that fills us, not a frill that we try to make a feast out of, but true purpose, true destiny. Come on, we want to pray with you if that's you. And then maybe you're like the people who are holding onto their pigs or longed for their pigs, longed for familiarity. Come on, God, again, has a purpose and a destiny for every person in this room. Don't hold on to those pleasures. Don't hold on to those things that you know God wants you to lay down so that you can walk into life and life to the fullest that fills us up. And come on, maybe it's self-doubt. Maybe it's a crisis. Whatever it is, we want to pray with you. But as we enter back into worship, come on, let's put our faith in the God who is almighty, the God who is good, the God who is faithful, 
the God who has fresh mercy and grace that follows us all the days of our life. Come on, let's worship him even now.